1: in this issue ghost lores ambassadors the wga the fda the pta and the jla also we look at the good asian as edison hart faces murder racism and the dangers of 1936 so set them up and knock them down the wheels on the bus go round and round and the major spoilers podcast is on the air all through the town
0: Welcome to issue 1025 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. No, Rodrigo this week. He's out with a migraine. We hope he gets better soon. Uh, But we've got a lot to talk about this week, including our news. Uh, We are officially in the second week of the writer's strike as the union attempts to seek better working conditions and higher pay raise from the studios and the AMPTP. Talks broke down last Monday, resulting in a strike being declared at midnight on May 2nd. As members of the WGA, all writing for Struck Studios halted until parties can come to an amicable
1: agreement. And, of course, with that strike, that means it impacts many shows in production and shows in pre-production. So far, uh, the list that we've compiled includes all of our late night talk shows, your Kimmels, your Seth Meyers and such, uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, Loot on the Apple TV Plus, the final season of Stranger Things, uh, Evil wrapped its season early. The relaunch of the Blade movie franchise starring uh, Mahershala Ali is currently on hold, as is the Game of Thrones spin off The Hedge Knight. Uh, the MTV Movie Awards were postponed. The sixth and final season of Cobra Kai, Yellow Jackets, Abbott Elementary, Hacks, Severance, uh, Daredevil, the upcoming Daredevil series, and many more currently yeah. on
0: So when will all this end? Probably not anytime soon, in my opinion. Uh, The two-page list of the current sticking points is available online on the WGA site. And while all the requests of the WGA are reasonable, studios aren't budging on things like pay increases and the use of AI, fully staffing writers' rooms, and, you know, the list goes on and on. It's two pages worth of stuff that's worth checking out. Uh, If I were to guess, my guess is that this will go on until the end of June at the earliest. And that's only because the Directors Guild Association and sag After contracts with the AMPTP both end on June 30th. Uh, negotiations for those groups begin on May 10th. And I think the uh, sag After may begin shortly after that, but the directors certainly step up on May 10th. Uh, with the DGA indicating its support for the Writers Guild, you're probably going to see things get nastier before it gets better. Uh, if you're a young person or you haven't mm-hmm. been following major spoilers for very long, the last major writer strike was in 2007 and gave rise to reality programming shows like The Kardashians and and really dumb game shows and just everything that you hate about television is the result of that, of that writer's strike. <laughs> uh, I should point out, and this is something that a lot of people don't point out, but I do want to point out, negotiations, uh, these contracts, union contracts, are renewed every three years. So I hear a lot of people when they're talking about this strike, they're like, oh, this is like the strike in 2007. And it implies that They struck the last time that they sat down for negotiations in 2007, but no, this happens every three years. So it feels like every 15, uh, every fifth cycle or every 15 years, that's when you see a lot of things come to a, to a head. And I believe a lot of that Matthew is because 15 years ago, things like streaming media, Netflix, YouTube were barely even a thought in anyone's eye. And so as I discussed this week on the top five podcast, Industries that people may be working in now or maybe working in
1: 10 years from now don't exist yet. Agreed. And I feel like, you know, part of it is as those new technologies, as those new situations, as those new, you know, genres, whatever you want to call it, as those new situations come up, both sides do try to find a way to capitalize on it. But, it, you know, it does feel to me like the whole, well, we'll just replace you all with AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is, that's not the that's that's an empty threat. But yeah, it's also a threat that, as you said, you're preparing for your next job or your third job down the line. They're actually preparing for, you know, the fourth or fifth time down the line when this actually becomes a thing. AI, you know, in fifteen years may be a thing, or ten years or five. But right now, I feel like the AMPTP is throwing that in there in the hopes that it'll continue to be a bigger and bigger wedge and a bigger sticking point as we go on. But I I don't know about you. I am perfectly fine with not having my shows. If it means that the people creating them, the people writing them are getting a chance at getting paid fair wage. Or living yeah, and, wage. That's the, and that's the other you thing that,
0: that, that to me, that is for me personally, And I certainly support the writer's guild uh, strike and I support everything that they, they have on their list. Um, they're asking for a 6% increase and some residual increases as well. Some royalty increases as well. And the studio's like, yeah, instead of 6%, we're going to give you like 4%. Well, the last time they negotiated this was three years ago. The minimum cost of living increase Mm -hmm. uh, is 3% per year. Right. So that would mean three years later, you should be getting at least 9% more over what you've been getting just to match the cost of living. I am in a position where I'm at in my full-time job where I will be lucky to see two and a half percent of an increase. And a lot of people will look at my salary and say, oh, well that's, that's a pretty good salary until you realize that in addition to the cost of living increase that has happened over the last uh, nine years or uh, three years, if you're looking at 3% per year, we've also had an incredible inflation rate because of greedy corporations that have driven up Mm -hmm. the cost of goods and services. So even if you got, uh, let's just say uh, this year, I got that 3% increase inflation has gone up 8%. So realistically I'm losing 5% of my income because of the way that that inflation and and the cost of living uh, doesn't keep up with that kind of stuff. So I really support the WGA on that, but it does bring up a question because uh, the writer's guild says, Hey, you're not supposed to be working on anything for for TV studios. And so uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are like, I'm not a member of the WGA. This is a perfect time for me to come in and do a little uh, scab work. <laughs> Scabbing it up. What do you think of that, Matthew? Should people be jumping on the bus to get on that scab scab wagon?
1: No, uh, that is a huge, huge dick move. Uh, also, I think it's illegal. No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> uh, It's not illegal, right? Right.
0: It is totally not illegal to cross a strike line and go and work. It is highly uh, frowned upon. Right. So uh, certainly the WGA has a policy on scabbing. The first is that, uh, you know, that first of all, if you are a member of the WGA and you decide to cross the line to strike, you are going to be banned from the WGA. They also say, if you're not a current member of the WGA and you do scab work, this will probably more than likely prevent you from ever becoming a card carrying member of the WGA and so this can in fact impact you going forward as well. So don't do the scab work. Uh support support the unions. And I know that there's a lot of people that are out there about what about my favorite TV shows? What about my movies? What about the Comic-Con? Well, those are all going to be impacted. Right? I mean, uh my guess is if this goes if this goes till the end of June, uh now the the DGA, the longest strike that they've ever had was 12 hours, I think. Um, I think the shortest was like three hours. If Hmm. the DGA decides that they really want to fully support the WGA, then my guess is the middle of July before anything would get resolved, which means that everybody then has to scramble to start work back up. And so if you're looking at your fall TV schedule, if you're really excited about, uh, you know, the 10th season of some dumb show, uh, to come out in October, more than likely, you're not going to get something in October. You're probably going to get something in January. Uh, Any movies that are in production like blade Matthew mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. I think that that's been pushed at least a year on any of those things. Uh, And then as far as comic con goes now, how could the WGA impact comic con? Well, um, if SAG aftra also strikes in support of the WGA and they're not getting what they want Then uh, there is a provision that when the uh, when SAG is on strike, that they don't do any promotional work for any of the stuff that that is coming out. That's part of the stipulations in their strike agreement. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all those celebrities that you want to see in Hall H, they are probably not going to show up if they're a member of SAG-AFTRA. And if you're an actor, you're a member of Mm SAG-AFTRA. So there you go. Uh, What about comic books? Is that going to be impacted? Eh, Probably not. Uh, I I think Mark Miller is going to continue to deliver his comic books. Now, the thing that you shouldn't. Well, I mean, he's got that overall. He's got that overall deal with Netflix and Netflix uh, with Image Comics is publishing his stuff. Um, What you can't do is you should not be uh, promoting your comic book work. You know, if you're a comic book writer and you're trying to say, oh, well, I will go and pitch my idea to the studio so they can buy it and, and do any of that stuff. That's also frowned upon right now. Uh, Even though you technically could do it, it's still considered part of scab work because pitching is part of the writing process. Uh, So I wouldn't do that. But if you're suddenly going to see a halt of your of your uh, Jeff Johns comic books, uh, I don't think that that's going to happen. Same way with podcasts, same way with newscasts, newscasts. uh, Journalists are not barred from doing journalism if they're members of the WGA. So I think you're okay with that. Where things get really, really weird, though is the shenanigans that Disney and HBO pulled. Are you familiar with what they did this week, Matthew? Or actually no, I think it was the end of did. last week. So they went out and their lawyers drafted a letter to all of the showrunners and said, hey, listen, even though WGA is on strike, you still need to come to work and do your non-writing duty obligations because a showrunner is the head writer. Uh, is the quote unquote producer for the show. So we expect you to still come and do your producing work, even though you're not going to do your writing work. And then they listed a bunch of things that said, uh, here are things that we expect you to do. Uh, And they were all things that a writer would do. Uh, And so to me, it just points uh, once again, that uh, Zaslav is a complete idiot and doesn't know what a showrunner is. That was the very first, when you look at that list that, and I'll put a link in the show notes for people, if they want to look at it, if you want to look at those things, these are all things that writers do, not just producers, but writers. So by coming in and saying, oh, just do this uh, one little thing as your producer duty, even though it looks like writing. Oh, no, you're going to get kicked out of the WGA for that. So. Um, uh, so, yeah, that that's kind of dumb. And then to further uh, cement and and I think people know by now I am not a fan of of uh, Zaslav over at HBO. I think it was a big mistake. I think that uh, he needs to be gone as quick as possible. So. Anything that I say about him, you can certainly say, well, Stephen is is uh, biased against this guy. And, and I will say, you're absolutely right. But when asked about when he thinks the strike will be over, David Zaslav said, I think a love for the business and the love for working will call them back sooner than later. We all came into this business because we love storytelling. We want to entertain. And when we're at our best, we get a chance to have an impact in our culture. And so he's saying that because the writers love to write, they will take whatever deal is handed to them and they will come back and write because they love to work. What a schmuck. This guy is bad people. I am now what? Nine months into my HBO max, uh, cancellation. Don't miss it at all. Don't miss it at all. What a schmuck. I know he, he really is an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, these are not me putting the words into Zazlav's mouth. Dear listeners, these are Zazlav opening his mouth and BS coming out. Uh, so so there you go. Anything else you want to add on to the writer's strike uh, commentary here, Matthew? Don't be a schmuck. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Oh. Uh, and if it hurts, you know, if it hurts, uh, if you're sitting there and saying, oh, but I want you're sitting there going, yeah, I want my next season of Golden Girls. If that's if that's the way that you're you're screaming. I know. Those women and, are all dead now. I know. I know. Uh, but if I, I'm just using them so that there's not an easy target for some dumbass out there. Oh, to harass it, people, got it, got it. Right. A euphemism. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Um, yes, but which is kind of the opposite of the Golden Girls because they're all dead. So the youth part would be not not in there. So. Um, no, not euthanasia, <laughs> euthanism.
2: What the hell uh, is so, rough.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, here's the thing. If you are angry because Abbott, and I've seen some people go after uh, some of the writers on Abbott Elementary online. If you are upset because Abbott Elementary has to end earlier, you're not going to get a full, you know, 23 episode season or however many episodes that they have. And you're going out and uh, attacking the writers because they're selfish for wanting to get paid a a decent wage for their work. um, Then you're on the wrong side of the argument. You really need to be going to, who is it, NBC? I don't know who does Abbott Elementary. Amazon? ABC. ABC. You need to be going to Disney and saying, hey, Disney, stop screwing around. You guys made a butt ton of money last year. Use that money to pay these writers yes. and all the writers are asking they've, they've worked it out that the increase is only $460 million for the year uh, per year. Yeah. And, and I know you're sitting there going half a billion dollars. Oh my God. No, I mean, that's nothing compared to the salaries that some of these execs uh, get. Uh, you're, you're literally, you could cut the salary in half of every head of studio in Hollywood and you would still have more than enough money to spread around. And these people would still be incredibly rich. So what you really need yes. to do is you really need to, if you want uh, the Stranger uh, Things final season to come out sooner than later, you need to put the pressure on Netflix to say, hey, Netflix, go pay the writers what they're asking. Go and take care of these streaming right. residuals. Go and take care of these kinds of things because I want to see Stranger Things final uh, final season five, whatever it is. And I support the writers of that of the project that's the real way that you should be looking at this strike. And you may need to just say, Hey, I support the writers. And if that means, as Matthew said, I don't get to see my stories, then that's the way it should be. And you should be okay with that. Yep. Maybe you have some thoughts. What, what we want you, dear listener to jump over and out to Me our want discord you. server. Want you uh, You can join the major spoilers discord server. Absolutely free. We would love to see you join the growing community of awesome spoilerites. There's a link in the show notes and we await your arrival and your thoughts on the current writer's strike now why did we talk about the writer's strike because last week someone said i really thought you guys were going to talk about the writer's strike this week and uh and you didn't and i was like well literally the strike was hours not even a full day yeah. into it at the time that it was announced and they could have you know <laughs> come to an agreement before we even sat down to record the show so we waited a week so that we could see where that was at but uh certainly there are now people they who come are, to an agreement before this show hits the air it'll be great I I don't think so. I think at this point, everybody's heels are dug in. And unless the AMTP, uh, what is it? The AMPTP, they need to come to the table and say, we are sorry. Here you go. Uh, I think the writers are prepared to dig in. And the director's guild may come to a a early wrap up and say, yeah, uh, everyone's agreed to our agreements, but guess what? The directors still aren't going to have anything to direct if they don't have anything that's written. So Yeah. Uh, It's all it's all tied together in this great big in this great big universe. Uh, I support the unions as frustrated as I get with unions at times. I understand why they are there. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, support the support the WGA. Let us know your thoughts over on Discord. All right. Let's get into some reviews. And speaking of Mark Millar, Matthew, you've got a Mark Miller comic to talk about this week.
1: I do. And I my love-hate relationship with Mark Miller is in 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 no way new news. Uh, but looking at yes, the ambassador
0: <laughs> Matthew's love-hate w- relationship with Mark Miller is about as biased as my relationship with David
1: Zaslav. I disagree. Uh but here's the thing. My love-hate relationship with Mark Miller goes back to 1993, and so it's at least, you know, old. Uh Mark Miller and This issue, the art, is by Olivier Coapel. Previous issues have been done by Travis Sherist, uh, one by Frank Quitely. Uh, but I'm looking at The Ambassadors, number four. So the premise of The Ambassadors is actually kind of neat and also kind of familiar. Uh, basically, a young woman in Korea has created a process to give people supernatural superhero powers. And so she has hidden six golden tickets. No, wait, that's not right. But yes, it actually is. Um, She has basically six slots for people to become superhumans. And so throughout these few stories that we've seen so far, each issue has shown us a new character. We've seen herself, codenamed Korea. And then, of course, Issue 2 featured a gentleman from India, codename India. Issue 3 featured a French woman and her son. Her name is codename France, and her son is uh, her sidekick, Pali. And Issue 4 is introducing us to codename Brazil. So here's the important thing that you need to know about the Ambassadors, number 4, and the previous issues. Almost everything that Mark Miller has done under the deal with Netflix has literally, obviously, been a springboard for a movie or a television series. In the case of, uh, what was it, The Nightclub recently, it was just obviously nothing. This book is complex. This book is weird and deep and also infuriating because in trying to undermine... And I want to be, I don't want to get into it because this issue also has the biggest twist that we've seen thus far. Uh, The previous two issues had ended with little moments where we go, dun-dun-dun-dun, something is building. This issue does the reveal of Captain America's shield moment uh, in the background of Thor, if you remember that from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I don't want to spoiler that for those of you who have been following along, but here's the thing you need to know. In trying to avoid... Stereotypes of comic book characters. He has somehow managed to create stereotypes of people in the real world that feel worse, if that makes sense. Oh, like uh so this is
0: in Brazil, so I'm imagining Mm -hmm. that there's a bunch of stereotypical uh stuff about Brazilians that probably borderlines on racism. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: It's definitely in the ballpark. Uh, For one thing, one thing that bothers me is that uh, it uses the term barrio, which I don't believe is a term that they would use in Portuguese. Uh, But more importantly, it is a story all about the drug trade and breaking down a a huge cartel in, in Central America, which is weird because Brazil's in South America. But here's the whole thing that you need to know. When we get to that first story, and we're like, "Oh, here's codename Korea. What is she like? She is this you know super logical, kind of cold genius person, and I'm just like, ooh, that's questionable and then of course, you know issue two gives us code name India, code name India you know comes from a big family and was in love with a woman that he couldn't have and had a whole bunch of you know situations kind of blow up in his face and got badly badly wounded because he was in the wrong place in a huge crowd of people at the wrong time and i'm like oh we're doing it twice and then of course we get to code name perry and code name perry is a single mom and she's a very very french and she flies around in a magical car and i'm just like but yeah we get to this issue and there are definite (sighs) i don't want to say bordering on racism but there are things here that if you look at it and go, why do we not have an editor? Why do we not have a sensitivity reader? Why do we not have somebody checking and saying, hey, um, is this coming across as really, really awful? Because the answer is a little bit, yeah. Um, I will say this. If they, or probably more likely when they, turn the ambassadors into a television series, I feel like I'll be more interested in seeing it for the sole reason that in a comic book form, and this was the problem that I had with nightclub, in a comic book form, you're running into story elements like, oh, well, this person has a kid sidekick or she has this car and all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, the car can fly. All of these moments are very interesting, but they're very familiar comic book moments. So, you know, we see the big fight scene in this issue, and we're seeing it take place throughout the city. And just in a live-action production, you know, in something like The Boys, when you see these moments, they stand out, they're remarkable, they're interesting. And in a comic book, no matter how well they're drawn, and Olivier Coipel is a good artist, you do get to a point where you're just like, It doesn't have that same impact because it's in, it's hard to describe, but it's in a, a, a genre. It's in comic books, which is an entire medium designed to go way over the top. In 1966, Stan Lee gave us a naked guy who looked like an Oscar on a surfboard flying around God who had antlers. I mean, This is a 65-foot-tall man standing over New York and declaring that we're all going to die. So when you have art that is specifically designed to look as realistic as possible, to look like the comic book equivalent of a television show superhero fight, it feels like you're doing no justice to either the comic book or to the super fight. That said, the positives of this issue Um, I will be back next issue just based on the way it ends with the thing, then the thing and the thing. And it is very well drawn so far. They have not hit that Mark Miller point where things have multiplied and I'm just, you kind of have to wash your hands and say, I'm out. I will say three slices of meatloaf for the ambassadors. Number four, I will definitely be looking for the ambassadors. Number five. And I don't know if I would say I recommend it to people, but definitely if you want to see a comic book that feels like a Netflix limited series, this may be the place to go. And there are some, you know, talented creators working on this. Travis Cheris did an issue, as I said. So, you know, you do have a chance to look at, even if the story is just like, here's Mark Miller going, uh, here's the series Bible. It looks really good. So three slices of meatloaf for the ambassadors. Number four. I got a question (laughs) about this. This is only a
0: six issue miniseries. And it feels like from what you've described so far that each issue is like, here's the origin story of Brazil. And here's the origin story. of." Is there anything that's tying this up to build to a bigger, complete story? Like has a villain revealed that they all have to team up and go and fight? Or is that going to be wrapped up in like half of issue six?
1: Codename Korea. Uh, is a genius and she has a genius ex-husband and there may have been some people wandering around in the stories in previous issues who just sort of pop up and go, Hmm, we're guys in this story and we want to do this thing over here. So yeah, that's, that's part of the thing that I don't necessarily want to give away because the game does kind of go in
0: this. Yeah. I was just, I was just more asking is, is this building to a, a battle it's where building, they have to team up or is this just going to be six issues of and here's nebraska
1: and here's <laughs> australia here's what i think it's doing i think it's building to a big uh, season finale cliffhanger with a hook for more of the ambassadors but yeah i do agree with you that the I- issue four of six still introducing new characters yeah i feel like there's a good chance that we're going to get into that last issue and they may have to you know, shove 10 pounds in a five pound bag.
0: Yeah, Mm, that's too bad. Uh, I'll be interested to see where that goes. This is definitely something that Mark Miller can't turn around and say, hey, Netflix, uh, here's my comic book. You want to turn this into a TV series? Because that would be against WGA policies.
1: Well, it's already written.
0: No, the comic book is written, the adaptation has not been. You're you're not even supposed to pitch. You're not even supposed to be pitching ideas to studios when it's on strike. Oh. Yeah, you can't you're you're not supposed to have you or your agent or your manager or anybody say, "Hey, Mark just finished up this uh, Ambassadors run. Uh, we should sit down and talk about turning this into a TV series because that's against the rules." Unless of course Mark Miller's not a WGA member, which I wouldn't know why he wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um in order to get the credit and the monies that he got from Wanted and all the other uh, stuffs, he would really need to be a WGA member. But mm-hmm. anyway, over at Boom Studios this week, it's Ghost Lore from Cullen Bonn. And I have a love, love relationship with Cullen Bunn. I love all the things that he does. I also love all the art that Brian Hurt does in his comic books. There's actually a second artist on this. I don't uh, have that, that artist name uh, right here in front of me, but there's a, a two artist team on this because uh, halfway through the story, the art team flips when they're telling a, a flashback sequence. And then mm-hmm. during the present time, we're with the with the main artist, Brian Hurt. Uh, so this I, I, I love things that Cullen Bunn does. I'm going to say I don't think that Ghost Lord number one is a good first issue. I I think it's got good points in it. Mm -hmm. But uh, like a Netflix series where it takes uh, episode three before things really get off the ground. I feel like this one is that issue that kind of introduces you to the world and all the problems of the world and all the spookiness of the world. But things will really kick off and make sense when you get to issue number two in the series. So this this issue and the solicitations for this pretty much gives away the entire series. But uh, there's a preacher in a small town, and his flock is getting smaller and smaller by the day. Uh, He gets along okay with his wife. His son hasn't really spoken much in the last year, and his daughter just thinks he's full of crap. And, you know, teenagers, they don't get along with their parents at all. And so one night driving home from church service, uh, the father, the priest, is like, here, why don't you drive the car? And she's like, oh, okay, really? And so she's driving the car, and they get into an argument about stuff. We're about, I want to say a third of the way through the issue by now. Mm -hmm. And then the girl freaks out because she thinks she sees a boy in the middle of the road and she's trying to avoid hitting him. So she runs off the road and slams into a tree and everybody is very, very hurt. The airbag goes off. So the daughter is safe. The dad can't feel his legs, the mother and the son who are in the back seat, they ain't alive (gasps) or are they? Because uh, the girl um, Harmony she sees her brother in the back seat, trying to say, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And she's like, you've been quiet for a whole year. Why? Why are you suddenly now talking? And then he we get a flashback to, to a horrible incident that he was involved with that so shook him. And there's some spooky monster stuff in this that so shook him that he has been silent for a year just because he's been so traumatized by this. But as he's dying or is dead, his ghost needs to tell her apparently the only person who can see these ghosts uh, what's going on and, and kind of um, purge their soul, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of what it is. And then as the dad is still trying to get out of the car, he can't see anything that's going on. The daughter gets out of the car and all of a sudden there's all these other ghosts that are like, you need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. And I think the father Lucas at the end starts to see the ghosts, if I remember correctly, but mm-hmm. uh, the solicitation is an estranged daughter and her pastor father, father wander a haunted land They only have the restless spirits, each with their own story to tell as company along the way. So I think that's what the rest of the story is. uh, The rest of the series is going to be kind of like the father and daughter trying to reconcile with one another while they are being told ghost stories by literal ghosts. And so you kind of get a uh, quite Twilight Zone, not quite, uh, um, you know, it's, I don't know, uh, Friday the 13th kind of stuff where you got these bookend bits. But the real meat of the story, the real interesting stuff happens in the middle. And certainly the story that the little boy tells about what he did to a girl at his school, it gets very scary. And, and there's a monster in it, and I thought it was very well done. Um, but I'm not super over the top about the bookend part. So I didn't think that this was a great first issue. It's interesting, and I think it has an interesting hook. Uh, and I think the middle story is great, and this is all Cullen Bunn writing it. So the writing is is good, and the art is really good. But I would say probably this is about a three slice of meatloaf comic book for a first issue as far as first issues go. Um, Mm. I don't know if it had a big enough hook to bring me back for issue two. Uh, So we'll have to see when Ghost Lord number two comes out next week week if I'm going to pick it up. But um, three out of five slices of meatloaf isn't horrible. Uh, It's better than average. And I do enjoy Cullen Bunn. So if you want to support spooky storytellers and you want to be in that Cullen Bunn business, then uh, go pick it up. In fact, both of these books, the Mark Millar and the uh, Cullen Bunn books, you can pick them both up through our Amazon affiliate links. There's links in the show note show notes. If you want to uh, help us out that way.
1: Yep. I think the second artist is Leo max who did the art on uh, Joe Hill's basketball. I
0: think you are correct on that. Uh, Uh, I just forgot to put it in the show notes, which is odd because I thought that I had it in the, uh, in the show notes originally, Um, but uh, there you go. Sometimes things change. Uh, So there you go. Also, we want to give a big thank you to everyone who supports the show and all the shows in the major spoilers podcast network. This week, we send thanks out to Carl who up there pledged to associate producer level. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Not only will Carl unlock a bunch of bonus content, but they get a, uh, they get the current Torx funnel cakes, exclusive t-shirt right now. And then in a few months, the new yearly major spoilers t-shirt will also be headed their way. And, of course, the fun doesn't stop there. As associate producers, uh, they will also get their name included as an NPC in an upcoming episode of the Critical Hit podcast. And you get our eternal thanks right here on the show. And, dear listener, we are waiting to give you a shout-out on the show. All you need to do is join us at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Boom is right. Well, actually, Image Comics is more where we are at. I have talked about this uh, series Uh, Since its debut, I thought it was a great series. I tried to get everybody that I could to to read this book. And again, I was right because it won so many awards uh, the year that it came out. In fact, the two years that it came out because it was released in uh, 2021 and 2022. uh, It's The Good Asian by Porn Sack Pinochet and Alexander Tafik I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Sorry. And Lee Lowridge. This is the story that takes place in 1936 about a, a Chinese American detective in Honolulu who comes to San Francisco to find a missing uh, maid of his adoptive family, the the um, uh, Caraways, no, forget, the Caraways, yes, and all of the stuff that he gets involved in trying to track this this woman down. What's interesting about this, and what really tipped me off onto this, is that Edison Hark. Who is who is our main character? Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the nineteen thirties, unheard of to have a Chinese American, a, a Chinese person uh, in law enforcement. Now, certainly, he's coming from Hawaii, where things maybe work a little bit differently because you do have such a large Asian community in Hawaii in the nineteen thirties. But certainly, in San Francisco and in America, uh, the Chinese uh, Exclusion Act uh, prevented Chinese from having any. Uh, any kind of jobs in law enforcement or really anything above, uh, you know, stoop work or uh, maid work or, you know, that kind of stuff uh, mm-hmm. during that time. And and Pornsack does spend a great deal of time in the back matter of these volumes talking about the American uh, Chinese uh, uh, Exclusion Act, the Asian Exclusion Act and other things. And kind of at the heart of this story is a murder of, people in the Chinese community which, you know, white people aren't going to care about, but when a Chinese person or, excuse me, when a white person is killed, oh man, Mm -hmm. it's like a a bomb is about to be set off because the Exclusion Act is being brought up and if people start looking at the horrible things that are going on in Chinatown and San Francisco, it could cause the the Exclusion Act to continue far into the future, which, spoiler alert, it did until, like, the 1940s. Um, Mm -hmm. So... This has its basis in history, and I like that a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a, the basis in terrible history, and I think that's no, no, the thing yeah, that no. But see, that's it's, it's most a, upsetting. It's upsetting because these things did happen, but it
0: also right, right, right. it is also things that a lot of people don't know about, right? So, if you were to go out to the average person in Topeka, Kansas, Matthew, and say, "Hey, did you know?" That the Chinese were excluded from coming into America in the night from 1917 or I'm sorry, the 1800s forward. Most of the people would say, no, I, I didn't know that uh, this is not something that I'm aware of. So what I like is that Cornsack takes this thing that many people don't aren't aware of and brings it kind of front and center into the story to make yeah. the average comic book reader aware of of this as a thing. So it's kind of like sneaking real history into your comic book. So you don't know that you're learning. So I that is kind of
1: nice. Yeah. It's so frustrating to me to read this story because it's so well done and it is clearly doing these things on purpose. But, you know, we do kind of get to, especially we get to a point in these first six issues where mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I, I know that the writer's doing it on purpose, but I'm frustrated that Edison doesn't seem to notice that he himself seems to have some internalized racism against the people that he's, you know, that he's working with because he's known yeah, you know, he, he, has to, he has to lie to people in his day-to-day job. He has to lie to other Chinese people to be a detective. Mm-hmm. He has to sometimes lie to the detectives. And it's just it comes to a point, especially about issue five, where I'm just like, he's kind of awful. Yeah. And he's he, like manipulative, he horrible. Person. Yeah. He has a
0: lot of self-loathing in that in that case, because he does start out the first issue saying, I hate the yeah. the fact that I have to lie to, quote unquote, my own people uh, right. in order to get the things that I that I want or that I need, because I'm also answerable to the man uh, because I'm also working for the man or I am the man. And so he does a lot of that self-loathing until you get, I think it's probably like issue eight or nine where he really comes to grips with here I am. I've done all these bad things. Now, after the events of this story, he kind of gets a fresh start and he doesn't have Mm -hmm. the Edison Hark, uh, name that has to be attached to him. He doesn't have the Caraways uh, name attached to him wherever he goes. He doesn't have, you know, uh, a manslaughter charge against him wherever he goes. So at the end, he's like, maybe I can finally discover who I am as he goes mm-hmm. off on on his next adventure. So I, I yeah. So what did you
1: think? Of, uh, so you thought the story was incredibly well done? I did. I feel the the thing that I really enjoy about it is when you get into these stories. Sometimes the the tropes, the bits and pieces that you know make it. A detective story or a, or a noir story can sometimes end up being not necessarily constraining, but it sometimes kind of limits to me anyway the story uh, in ways that I don't necessarily like. And this one wasn't to my mind that it, it went dealing expl- with that the situation. Go ahead. Okay, so that. you you know how you complain about the Elliot Gould version of the Long Goodbye? Yes. Okay, part of the reason I feel like you hate it and part of the reason that I like it is because it does break the rules and it, it alters the story in ways that kind of but go it, against the expectations of that, no, of that genre.
0: No, so the reason why I hate The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould uh, is mm-hmm. because uh, something that we talked about in the pre-show, it's Elliot Gould being Elliot Gould and not mm-hmm. Elliot Gould being uh, uh, Sam Spade, right? Right. Uh, it, he's not being he's not being true to the character uh, that was created in, in the story, right? The, mm-hmm. the story itself is just a, an updated take of a 1930 story, which the update right. is fine. I have no problem with that. But then suddenly uh, Sam Spade uh, played by Elliot Gould has to do a bunch of Elliot Gould things in order for the <laughs> audience to go, Oh yeah, I remember why I like or dislike Elliot Gould. And he's a pro from over. He, when he breaks, when he breaks that quote unquote character, That's the part Mm -hmm. that I don't like about that. Is Sam Spade mouthy? He can be. Is Sam Mm -hmm. Spade uh, direct into the point? And is he going to take revenge and shoot his best friend into a pond at the end of the movie? Yeah, that's a very Sam Spade thing to do. Um, But to break out into blackface simply because that's going to get a laugh from the audience who's watching this movie Mm -hmm. is is not in character with who Sam Spade is. And so it's those little moments in that movie where he's breaking character is the reason why I hate. Uh, and I shouldn't say hate because that's a very strong word. Why I really dislike right. uh, The yeah, Long Goodbye. Yeah. And people are like, well, maybe, Stephen, you need to watch it again. I've watched it multiple times because every time She's someone's like. 15 times I grow. have probably watched it. I've probably watched it four or five times in the last. I probably have ended up watching it once every other year for the last decade. Mm-hmm. So I've probably seen it more than a lot of people have. Um, But yeah, so, I mean, so going back here to the good Asian, what about the detective tropes don't you like in this book?
1: It's not the detective parts that I don't like. I feel like the way this breaks the rules of those detective stories is what I like, or at least what I perceive to be the rules. Mm. I like the fact that the, the character is from the very beginning, you know, kind of out Uh, of his element he is immediately perceived as an outsider no matter where he goes you know in the in the asian society he's the betrayer when he's dealing with white people you know they're clearly like oh good you know they're they're just flat out racist because it's 1936 i like the fact that we don't have the big tough guy origin of why he (laughs) has a terrible scar on his face you know i like that and i don't think that Okay, so when we get to the end of issue six, mm-hmm. this is not resolved. I had thought this was going to be a six-issue resolution. So, oh no, that's I a ten—it's a ten-issue.
0: It's got both volumes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I—I I, I was mad. I was getting to the end of this and going, "Man, they, we are. We, if we're going to wrap this up, we need to wrap this up." And then well, they and did, I, and I'm like, I'm so mad.
0: this may be a misremembering on my part, which is maybe the case. But I think this was originally solicited as six issues. And then the story Mm -hmm. got so in depth and involved that they had to expand it out to the 10 issues because it's really weird for it to be a 10 issue story where you've got, you know, five issues in one arc and five issues in the other uh, trade. I think it's five and five Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe it's six and four, but uh, it it felt very weird for it to be broken up that in the way that it was. Now, we're talking about this and the link that I've put in the show notes is to the 1936 deluxe edition of this, which Mm -hmm. comes out in June of this year. This collects everything, Ooh. the entire story into one hardback, uh, compl- I think complete with the back matter as well in that. So if people are looking okay. for it, I would buy it as the deluxe edition and not the two separate trades. But it is okay, a weird, cool. it is a weird breaking point, right? It is a weird breaking point when you get to really the is. end of the first of the first trade.
1: Yeah, because you, you do get to the point, And of course, the, the I think the last word spoken in the last issue that I read was this all has to end. And I'm like, well, not here. Oh, so you didn't read no. the second? You didn't read the second uh, half.
0: I read the first six issues. Okay, so you didn't read so, you didn't read everything then.
1: I didn't um, read the that that the whole thing. No, I thought we were just reading the first six. Yeah, no, it's just mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's just ten issues. So yeah, you're oh, missing okay. out on
0: a on a big ending. And ah. I will say this that mm-hmm. um, I think that this follows the tropes of a detective story very very well. Mm -hmm. And I say this as just someone who has written a couple of detective stories. I say this as someone who has read a ton of detective stories. I've read all the Dashiell Hammett's. I've read all of the, of the, uh, uh, Sam Spade stuff. Uh, I've read all the thin man stuff. I've, yeah, yeah, I've read all the Philip Marlowe stuff. I've read all of the, you know, the, the, the Lou Archer stuff. Uh, I have read a lot of detective books, uh, both Mm -hmm. modern and old. So I, I understand where things need to be placed and how things need to be revealed. And this mm-hmm. one feels very much along the lines of a uh, crap. Um, who wrote the book L- from L.A. Confidential? Um, oh, James Elroy. That, James Elroy. Yeah. I, I've read several of his books. James Elroy. And, and I, I'm not saying this is a dig. I think this should be a compliment to to Porn Sack. Is that mm-hmm. it feels like I am reading a James Ellery uh, book um, or Elroy book mm-hmm. uh, only because there are a lot of characters in play in these 10 issues and you have to be up to speed on who all of these characters are because suddenly out of nowhere comes a character. And if you associate this character with someone else, you're going to be very, very confused for the <laughs> rest of the story. And, And that is what Elroy, how he writes. um, And I understand that in a a lot of detective uh, stories, you have to introduce a lot of characters to throw off suspicion, to lead to suspicion, to do these other things. And I think that that works very well in prose. But I kind of felt that there were too many characters in such a short amount of time that I got confused at times. And fortunately, as you're getting into the second trade, the soft cover trade that's available, uh, they do Mm -hmm. have a cast of characters. So that you do know who are all the players, who they are, how are they related to one another, that kind of stuff. Um, right. But I would say go very slowly when you're reading this book to make sure that you're keeping track of all the characters and their relationships. Because mm-hmm. when you do get to the ending, it is a satisfying ending, and the who done it reveal is very satisfying. But you kind of have to follow a, a a path to get there a little bit, and and I can understand that can be very frustrating. In fact, uh, I read. Um, Elroy's, um, gosh, what is the most recent one in that trilogy uh, for L.A. Confidential? It's part of a three book series. And I read the third book a couple of years ago. And I was just like kind of screaming because of how much stuff was going on in that in that book. And but but by the end, I was like, well, this all makes sense. And even if you've watched um, L.A. Confidential, you probably know these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to see if it was, is it widespread? Oh yeah. Well, no, that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it started with that and then went into LA confidential. And I think it wrapped up with widespread panic. I think mm. is, is the final one in that. I can't remember if that's what it is. Um, but it just came out a few years ago, like within the last six years. Um, so yeah, I mean, you are getting a really well done detective story, but a well done detective story throws the reader for loops at times. Mm-hmm. I think intentionally to keep you guessing until you put it all together at the end. That mm-hmm. being said, I am a fan of, I kind of liked, I kind of, uh, I kind of like to figure it out for myself by following all the clues. And I'm not sure you get to follow all the clues easily here, which is also part of another detective story where a lot of times, especially in the Lou Archer stuff, he doesn't come across the stuff because he's investigating or even a Rockford file stuff. Rockford doesn't uh, solve the case by using a smarts he solves the case because something falls in his lap or, you know, the bad guy steps out from behind the corner and says, I'm the bad guy. And Rockford's like, who are you again? Um, that's kind of w- <laughs> the way it feels like in, in, in the good Asian. But, but again, okay. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this book a lot.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like visually, um, it's the part where I'm just kind of thrown, but in a good way in how so, um, Well, okay, so I I do not read a lot of these. I'm not like a a mystery guy. So when I go into something like this, my first thought is probably going to be uh, what's his name that works with uh, who are the guys that we keep covering every five minutes? Uh, The reckless guy.
0: Oh, uh, Sean, uh, um, Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker.
1: Yeah, so I was I was going into this and I'm like, okay. so I've I've read that, and I have kind of the the feel for the the pacing of a Sean Phillips story. Right. This is completely different, and I really liked it. This kept yeah, reminding this me is, of different people.
0: This is, like, like our, I said, James Elroy or even some of the older detective stuff from, like, the 30s and 40s. This is how yeah. those would be written.
1: And I just, you know, I kept getting these weird vibes of, could this be something that was actually set? You know, in, in existing storylines. But I think my my only real problem with it uh, is my own fault because of the way that it breaks off. I thought we were reading the, the first yeah. trade. So. Yeah, yeah, that's why I gave everybody both trades. I read the first one. Shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the first one does end on a really good kind of cliffhanger. And I do believe that there was a break in their release. I want to say there was a month or two mm. break in release from um, wherever the, the trade split. Uh, mm-hmm. That kind of threw me as well, and I know uh, Christopher Rondo, who is writes over at Major Spoilers, I think he reviewed all of the books in the series, and I that think is. he also was thrown by that, that cliffhanger ending. And the thing is, there's literally a point in the story where it appears that Edison is dead because you get into issue, yeah. I think it's eight, and suddenly you're like, <laughs> oh, we're now switching point of view characters for the rest of the story, question mark? Uh, and so it's, it's very, it's very weird when it does that, but then it comes back around. It's, it's very, very well done. Uh, it, it is, I would say that this book is kind of the opposite of a reckless Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book in Mm -hmm. that with reckless. Ethan is going through and he is saying, here's how I put all the clues together. And then, you know, when we read the first uh, reckless book, it's like, oh, then it hit me. I was just a patsy all along, uh, for this. And all of that makes complete sense. It's very it's a right. very logical point one to point two to point three A to Z kind of storytelling for that kind of a detective story. This one isn't this one goes this one has twists and turns and there are points in the story where you go down. It, you take a wrong turn and you have to backtrack out to say, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, that wasn't really part of this investigation. Now let's go forward. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, that thing that we thought was nothing actually was something And so there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of balls in the air when you're telling this kind of story and it, and it, and a lot of people don't like it because it can get convoluted very quickly. And I think that that's one of the things that would be a little minor, uh, complaint of mine on this book. That's probably my major complaint, but Mm -hmm. I understand the storytelling method and I understand to trust the writer to make it all make sense at the end. This is not a cozy, this is not a cozy
1: mystery, right?
0: This is definitely not
1: that. I like a cozy mystery.
0: Yeah. A lot of people do cozy mysteries are great. I have nothing against cozy mysteries. In fact, I just read a cozy mystery uh, just the other day and I was surprised at how quickly I I read it. It was the latest in the uh, Samantha true series. Um, And I was, I was very surprised by how quick it went, but it's a very nice little cozy, cozy mystery. This is not it. It, This is, if I were to say, this is like something that the audience would understand. Mm -hmm. This is literally Chinatown, the movie. This is literally this is literally at the point when Jake is turning around and they're saying, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. If you're trying to figure out why they say it's Chinatown, this book explains it. Right. Uh, This book, it goes into the in Chinatown. We keep our mouths shut and we quietly plot our revenge uh, for years, decades, whatever it is. We need to be uh, unseen because we know that when we are unseen, Uh, It causes or when we are seen, it causes trouble and uh, trouble will come for us. And all of these things that that the characters are telling each other and themselves in the story gives you a greater sense for what this community is all about. And Mm -hmm. then makes Chinatown make a lot more sense if you're watching that. But if I were to compare it to a movie, this is very much L.A. Confidential or Chinatown, but more Chinatown than anything else, except that it doesn't have have it doesn't have incest in
1: it. Well, that we know of. No, I mean, I read the whole series. There's no incest. I mean, he was raised by these people and he slept with their daughter. Huh? They're not really, yeah, yeah that, that is a,
0: that is a, so I I will say that if this is somebody that's like, oh, well, my son Timmy is 12 and he's very smart and he likes mysteries, I will give this to him. Uh, there's boobies yeah. and nudity and sex in this thing. Uh, so just be aware of that. Um, they do come out and say, ah, you're not technically my, my sister. In fact, she calls him a, um, she calls him something very bad when yes. he is first quote unquote adopted into the family. He's not officially adopted, um, and then they end up sleeping together later on in life, and uh, that is kind of a key point to the to the entire story. So, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bottom line for you, Matthew, what do you
1: think of The Good Asian? I think that it is very specifically created to do something that a lot of stories don't. Uh, in that it's not just trying to entertain you, it is trying to educate. It's giving Mm -hmm. you specific historical context for the story, and I really like the way that builds, and I really like that, you know, even though I only read the first half of it, I actually read the original issues, because I uh, was at work and I couldn't get through the firewall. So I feel like... The big positives here are seeing a creator do something that feels like a very personal story and doing it very well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the real downside you've already mentioned is that as the story builds and as it builds in complexity, especially if you're trying to read it month by month or issue by issue or, you know, one trade and then the other, that really does make for some kind of a high bar for access. So yeah, if anything, I would say, as you're reading this, you won't literally need a scorecard, but it wouldn't hurt to have.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't hurt to get your red yarn out and start making connections uh, on the wall uh, because it it does make make that. And I do, you know, reemphasize again that part that you said, Matthew, about, you know, there's a little bit of history in here. Uh, Edison Hark, if I remember one of the back matter things, uh, there was an actual... Chinese American detective on the force in China in the early early 1900s uh, before Ooh. this story takes place and he supposedly was a complete badass, uh, so much okay. so that um, and I forget who the creator of Charlie Chan was, but he heard this story about this detective and he created Charlie Chan based on the stories he heard about this guy. Now, Charlie Chan, oh. especially as he was depicted in, in movie media, a uh, very racist depiction, uh, depiction there. But mm-hmm. even Charlie Chan and Edison Hawk have their origins in a real person uh, in Hawaii at, at, at this time. So, you know, there's that. And then there's some of the other stories. Again, the back matter I think is necessary reading for this book. Not, not mm-hmm. to, not to enjoy the story that's being told, but to really understand what's going on, because there's another character uh, who's brought up uh, casually a couple of times, and that was based on real events uh, that happened, and so it's neat to see that incorporated or folded in uh, to what is going on here, and I and I, I really enjoy that. So um, I would say go get the deluxe edition. Don't unless you already have the two softbacks, go and get the deluxe edition in June. You can pre-order it now, forty bucks. Hard hardcover collection. That's really nice. The art in this is wonderful. It really is. Mm-hmm starts out as as being very simple but then you start to realize that there's an incredible amount of detail that goes into a lot of these quote unquote simple drawings uh, this is something that I think should be required reading uh, you know only because you're if you're trying to put some historical perspective on on events and you're trying to make it um, consumable or agreeable to people who may not want to learn their history about uh, how we as a country oppressed people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that this is a very important book to read just from, from that context to kind of see it from the other side to see that perspective. Uh, So yeah, the good Asian is just, is just a good book. And my understanding is that there is a sequel in the works. I don't know when we will get to see that though. So there you go. There we go. All right, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. If you found value in this show, we would love it if you would join our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers. You'll get even more fun, including a discussion on uh, Pete Davidson. It's all part of the Major <laughs> Spoilers podcast pre-show. You can only find that when you become a Silver level patron at Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers. Uh, next week on the show, we should have uh, Rodrigo back. But we're also going to be talking about Miracle Monday, because that's what happens next week. And it all happens right here on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do, too. We will talk with you soon.
2: what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun, being the Middle East With a gang Santo throwing soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 whoa. what a major spoiler.
1: This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment,
0: LLC.